This is Fine Music Radio. Today's edition of People of Note is a repeat of a program aired a year or so ago when the distinguished British violinist Anthony Marwood was holidaying in Cape Town. So I've decided to repeat his interview because he is in fact back in Cape Town to perform at a recital for the Cape Town Concert Series on Saturday the 16th of November. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And my guest, British violinist Anthony Marwood, known worldwide as an artist of exceptional expressive force, and his energetic and collaborative nature places him in great demand as a soloist and director with chamber orchestras worldwide. We know him very well not only as a solo violinist, but as the violinist of the erstwhile Floriston Trio, which recorded extensively for the Hyperion label. His principal artistic partner of the celebrated Canadian chamber orchestra, Les Villons du Roi, a post he took up in 2015. He's worked in Norway, and he's worked with conductors such as Valerie Gergiev, Sir Andrew Davis, Thomas Sondergaard, Guard, Ilan Volkov, and also our own Gerard Corsten. And with many famous orchestras the world over, and Anthony Marwood is renowned as a champion of contemporary music. So, Anthony Marwood, thank you for coming in, because you're on holiday in Cape Town, aren't you? Enjoying the sun, the lack of rain, but thank you for spending an hour with us here in the studio. It's a great pleasure to be here. Am I right in saying that you're a fairly regular visitor to Cape Town? This is the second time I've met you in Cape Town, and I gather it's something that you quite like doing. To put it mildly, yes. I first came to Cape Town 16 years ago, and I've come every year since then, sometimes two or three times a year. It's quite mysterious, my relationship with this extraordinary place. I mean, I had the, the sense when I first planted my feet on, on your soil that I was very mysteriously coming home in some oh, way. Strange. I felt very, very connected and very inspired by the place immediately. And that sense just has really only intensified and, and deepened over the years. I'm absolutely passionate about being here. And in some way, although I travel all around the world, I realize that I measure time in some way in, in regard to visits to Cape Town. Either, you know, oh dear, I've got six days to go before I leave, or hooray, I've only three or four months before I return. It, it's puzzling. I'm, I'm sort of working it out, really. <laughs> well, while you're working it out, do come and visit us frequently. <laughs> but I would like to know, can you remember why you came in the first place 16 years ago? Very dull reason. I had eight days. I had uh, uh, no time for jet lag. I wanted to go somewhere I'd never been before. And a friend of mine said uh, how extraordinary Cape Town was. And, and so I just got on a plane and knew no one, knew nothing, Really, I mean, of course, I knew about South Africa, but I didn't didn't have any sort of previous experience or, or tips really about Cape Town, and just immediately felt connected to the place. Oh, good! And have you been elsewhere in South Africa to any of the other big uh, cities uh, or game bit. farms, that sort of thing? I haven't been on safari yet, actually, which is which is a bit shaming. And I would love love to go. I've been to other places, but maybe there's something about the mountain here which grips you by the neck and doesn't want you to leave. It's always rather traumatic uh, to, to escape its clutches, actually. Gosh, it's very interesting hearing someone <laughs> say that, because you know what happens, one takes these things for granted, mm. although I think some Cape Townians will be annoyed with me saying that. I'm not a Cape Townian, but I right. am absolutely fascinated by that mountain, yet you do yes. see it every day when you drive and you think, oh. oh, good, the mountain's there. A sense of security, everything's going to be okay, sort it, of thing. It's, yes, I find this place... It, not in an easy way, I find this place some sort of healing. I always always come here as, as, as a kind of recovery in preparation to what's to come. And, I, and I've, I've found that if I need to recover from a crisis, it, it helps me to do that. But if I need to have a crisis, it will provide the crisis for me somehow. <laughs> so it's a very transformative place, not always in comfortable ways, but mostly, I mean, I'm blissfully, blissfully happy when I'm here. We're recording this interview here in the Fine Music Radio Studios in the middle of October, and this particular visit has a sort of working connection, doesn't it? Because your partner is in that fantastic production of The Fugard of Shakespeare and Love. Tell me a little bit about that and about him. Well, we've known each other for 25 years and latterly come to Cape Town together quite a bit, and it was a very serendipitous occasion we happened to be walking past the famous Fugard Theatre and he saw that they were going to be doing a, a production of Shakespeare in Love and really my partner's name is Walter van Dyke and, and he grew up 
living and breathing Shakespeare. And when he saw, I'm, I'm really right for for that for that show. <laughs> so he got in touch and auditioned and 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 got the part. And so for him to be working here for the first time is tremendous. And for me, the curious pleasure I get seeing him work at the the wonderful Fugard Theatre, in a fantastic production, I must say. Mm, Shakespeare in Love is, is, is really great. He is presumably then a professional actor. Oh, absolutely. Back home. That's yes. what he does. Yes, 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 absolutely. And yes. how does he deal with your music and travelling? I presume, well, obviously he must go with you a lot of the time. <laughs> well, some uh, wonderful actor friends of mine who've been married for years and years, you know, they were asked, you know, how on earth do you manage your each other's schedules and and their memorable reply was prolonged and frequent separation <laughs> but actually it's i don't mean to be flippant about it because it's not always easy to be separated but i think if what draws you together is very strong you're, you're absolutely fine and i think we, we we take great pleasure in each other's travels and successes with a name like walter van dyke mm. is he what nationality is he well he was born in in canada to dutch parents so although the spelling of Van Dyke is gloriously South African. Yes. Um, For a he, moment he, I wondered if yes, that was South African. It, alas, no. <laughs> but yes, he's sort of a bit of a citizen of, of the world in, in, in the way that our, our lovely British Prime Minister says we shouldn't be citizens of the world. Oops, I'm getting political. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of those people who have seen Shakespeare in Love by the time this interview is broadcast, uh, what role did he play, just to remind us? He played uh, De Lesseps and he played Tilney. So he's he's the guy that sort of wants to shut the theatres down and yes. the, the, the spoiler a little bit. And I remember yeah. from, as you were, well, was lucky enough to be at the opening night, his tremendous yeah. presence, doesn't he? Yes. He's tall, fantastic costume, and commands the stage in a typical Shakespearean yeah. sort of Very way. Very much so, and he has the voice. He has the the voice for Shakespeare. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, you have the violin and the music, and we're going to have our first choice of music now, Anthony Marwood, the violinist, is my guest. And I know you said, Anthony, you don't want to play your own music, but I insisted <laughs> that we hear at least something of, because I don't know why you don't want to play your own recordings, but this is your latest, one of your latest, isn't it? Tell me what we're going to hear. Yes, it's actually my 50th recording. I, I decided to count them. <laughs> so I have made quite a few recordings, and, and it's my 50th, and it's, it's my latest disc for the Hyperion label, and it's Walton's Violin Concerto with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and Martin Brabins. And I think we're going to play some of the last movement. Yes, well, let's, let's pick it up, as they say, in DJ terms, so that we hear, what, the last four or five minutes? Something like Taking that. Taking to a nice close. And here you will hear my guest, Anthony Marwood, as solo violinist.
Well, the exciting close of the violin concerto by Sir William Walton, the British composer, with the British violinist Anthony Marwood as soloist and the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra conducted by Martin Brabens. Your 50th recording, Anthony Marwood, for Hyperion. Uh, actually, not my 50th for Hyperion, but probably something like my 40th. Good but I've, I have been allowed to make recordings for other labels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you enjoy the recording process? Because at the beginning, I said that you were the violinist of the erstwhile Florestan trio, and you made a lot of recordings on Hyperion. Yes. And I have to say, this is my little compliment to you. They are fine recordings, and I'm sure you agree. They were well-received critically, and the repertoire was fairly vast, and it was tremendously polished and musical. Do you miss the Florestan trio, or do you feel it's time to move on? Well, both, I suppose. I miss it, but I feel at the same time that it's. I was connected to that group for 16 years or something, and I feel that it's still very much a part of me. Uh, it's not. I've, I've never really understood this idea that if you have an intense relationship with a person, or, a, or in this case, a group, that you have to have some kind of divorce and pretend it never happened. I, I just, that's not really who I am. If someone's important to you, they're always important to you. And I feel the music making of, of my colleagues in the trio with me, you know, wherever I'm making music these days. So oh, it's, still it's very, after this time. I would say so. Yes. And the piano trio repertoire is so rich, isn't it? There's wonderful, some great works. Wonderful, wonderful. And Beethoven. Yes, uh, we, we had a glorious time playing playing, you know, from from Haydn to works that were written today and, and had a fantastic time with it. I know that you are a ambassador of contemporary music, and I know you've had a violin concerto written for you, but we're going to come back to that. Mm. But I want to find out a little bit about you, Anthony. This is the inquisitive part of the program, to find <laughs> out um, your background, how you came to music and the violin. Well, I grew up in a musical family. I was the youngest of four children, and my parents, however, were not musicians, but they somehow magically seemed to produce four musicians who all became professional. So by the time I came along, there was music resonating through the house and with the piano on each floor, <laughs> the club right things. And I was very lucky, I think, because I knew right away that not only did I know that I wanted to play music, but I knew specifically that I wanted to play the violin. My sister played the viola, my brother the cello, and my other sister the oboe. And there just happened to be a wonderful local violin teacher and a fantastic local piano teacher who was an incredible musician. Somehow the, the, the setting was, was just right, and I was begging my mother to, to let me practice the violin before my first lesson, you know, <laughs> please, please, can I practice at least a scale? And it was the last moment in my life I was enthusiastic about practicing scales. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was just one of those mysterious, intuitive things. And, and I realized that not everybody is, is lucky enough to know what they want to do their life. The only conf conflict I ever had in terms of my profession was I, I was very serious about wanting to be an actor as well when I was, oh. when I was in my sort of early, early teens, I would say I was fascinated by the theatre and I remain so and many of my my friends and relationships have been somehow linked to the, to the theatre. Well, I'm going to come back to that and your acting career in a short while just to titillate our listeners because it's something to do with you acting without any clothes on and with a violin, <laughs> but we'll get there later. <laughs> Anthony, did you then, you went through studies and all that and studied and then... I did, yes. The moment you came out of studies, you were a violinist. Well, I suppose that's the, the, the simple, the, the simple story. Yes, exactly. With some ups and downs. But I think one of, I had many wonderful formative experiences. And one of them was I was 18. I became the, the concertmaster of the European community, as it was called then, youth orchestra. And we worked with extraordinary conductors like Abado and Bernstein with amazing soloists and actually recently they've all kind of cropped up on YouTube so I can now watch myself as, a, as an 18 year old in the <laughs> Musikverein in Vienna and things and we did once work with Jesse Norman who whose voice I've just been a fan of ever since absolutely extraordinary 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 artist who who makes her repertoire her own really and m m an absolute choice for me would be Jesse Norman singing Morgan 
And this um, is your second choice. What a nice segue choice. for you. <laughs> Talking about Jesse Norman, who sings Strauss, Richard Strauss, so beautifully. Her four last songs, aren't they? So terribly. Just, uh, it, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to listen to <laughs> another version. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, what I like about this, and I'd just like to say to our listeners, is that there's a stillness that she creates with her voice in this music, isn't there? And right. yet, as you said earlier, there's so much hope. It is, it's a wonderful... It's one of those things in a recording studio that must have just worked with a spark. I, I wonder if it wasn't just recorded in one take. I'm sure. Here we go. studio one has to be very careful how you back announce music like that so that it doesn't come in as a blow <laughs> that beautiful song by Richard Strauss Morgan sung there by Jesse Norman and it was this choice of my guest on people of note here on fine music radio this week the British violinist Anthony Marwood Anthony I have to ask you this before we go any further is there any reason apart possibly from financial why you haven't played here <laughs> no, it's nothing to do with financial. I, I think really until now, this place has been a very special 
point of retreat yes. for me not, in recovery. Not performing it's the recovery. one place that I travel some distance where I don't perform. Having said that, I'm now talking rather seriously about about finally playing here because, of course, I've got friends here and I, I feel that maybe now is the, the right time. And so I'm having rather serious conversation about uh, doing a, a concert tour here. And I think that will be wonderful. Absolutely. I really look Gosh, forward to that. We'll have to interview you again and <laughs> talk about it. And uh, it'll be great to hear you here. Yeah. Uh, chamber music or orchestral, whatever. But that brings me to your violin. I just want to talk about your violin at the moment because when I was reading your bio on the net, I was very intrigued to hear that you play a Carlo Bergonzi violin. And I thought, what? May I just say that Carlo Bergonzi is by far my favorite Italian tenor. <laughs> His recording of Radomir's with Carian in the Vienna Philharmonic and Tibaldi, I think, is a lesson in how to sing Verdi as a musician first and foremost. Is there any connection between your violin and Carlo Bergonzi? I'm really, really sorry to disappoint you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's any connection at all. Of course, Carlo Bergonzi, as in the famous violin maker, lived in the 18th century, and my violin is made in 1736. He was part of a, a small elite group of wonderful Cremonese Makers. Oh, it also uh, comes from Cremona. Yes, so Antonio, Antonio Stradivari and, the, um, and uh, uh, Guarneri, Giuseppe Guarneri del Gesù and, and so on. And, and, and Stradivari is a little bit more of a famous name, but um, Bergonzi made only a, about 45 violins as opposed to Strad making 650 or something mm. like that. So I think he was probably busy helping others make their instruments. And so... But his 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 instruments are are really on the same kind of level. Remarkable! I play a, an amazing violin that I that I was very lucky to have bought for me by a, a syndicate of very kind investors, and that's a very long story. But it <laughs> really, I met a very kind gentleman on an aeroplane about twenty years ago, and and the adventure started from there. That, and he was kind of the prime on, um, instigator of this uh, syndicate. And it must be rather odd and a little bit scary when you, uh, this gentleman took you to see this Carlo Bergonzi violin. I mean, there was a possibility that you might not have liked it, which would have been rather embarrassing. Did you, <laughs> was it an immediate love affair? Well, actually, it was, it was a bit more complicated, the process. In fact, I looked for violins and then had one or two sort of heartbreak situations with, you know, it's a funny, funny old game with, with things being not quite revealed about provenance or, or condition. And my benefactor in, in New Zealand, Christopher Marshall, he actually found a young man who had been working at the heart of the dealerships in, in America, who had a very unfortunate experience. He, he got a cancerous brain tumor and gave up the business, went to China to get himself cured um, and was cured, but went deaf and ended up in New Zealand. And my benefactor found him and said, I have the perfect job for you. Um, you can scout. I'm going to pay you to scout around the world and look for a violin for Anthony because he had all this knowledge, but he was slightly underneath the radar at that time. It was a most remarkable mm. story. And so he eventually came to London with two or three instruments. And this Bergonzi was one of them. And it hadn't been played for several generations and was I called it the sleeping beauty because it was it was a, a thing of, of glory but it was not sort of alive and kicking at that point but I just had this feeling that there was something remarkable going on underneath and so it proved but it took several years really to form the, my to wake strong the alliance beauty. with it yes yes Yes. What an amazing analogy, because I suppose that does happen to an instrument like a violin. If you don't play it, it sort of rests and everything sinks and everything loosens and everything dulls down. It, it can do. I mean, it, it's at the same time, it's quite good, I think, for these, these instruments to have periods of time where they just can sit and recover. But I used to be very much of the... It used to infuriate me when I saw violins behind glass in exhibitions and things. Mm. They should be played, they should be played. My violin wasn't played for a long time and it is in the most sensationally beautiful condition and perhaps its condition wouldn't be so beautiful here. True, there is. <laughs> had it been played savagely like I do. <laughs> and I must say it's, it's, a, it's a thoroughbred and it's a, it, it, it gives me a run for my money. This It's a personality without a doubt. And sometimes it just does like to have, you know, a couple of weeks off and... and, and 
it punishes me sometimes if I just play and play and play <laughs> and play. If I've been a naughty boy. <laughs> if I've been a naughty, it, it, it tells me what to do, really, not the other way around. And you can feel it immediately, I presume. Oh, yes. Yeah. And pres- do you bring it out here? Or is I it- do, yes, oh, you I do. do. It- when I'm here, I kind of often um, start with a bit of a break, but then I'm preparing for what, what comes. So I have to f- always ensure that I'm staying in a place where I can... I can practice the violin. Have you ever had any problems with airlines not letting you on? All these horrible stories that are happening now with cellists especially and violinists oh. and bassoon, people with yes. large trunks. There's always the exception to the rule, but it's always a, a lurking fear for, for all of us who travel. And, and um, cellists, of course, always have to buy a seat for their instrument. Violinists, we don't have to, but there's always that worry, will it be okay? I've been pretty lucky but i'm i'm always you know very much on guard when i'm when i'm going on when yes, I'm going sure. an airplane and be careful in this yeah. country so that you of course don't leave it anywhere funny. No, no, never 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 but a, you don't do that anywhere i mean you don't no, you never not. leave it in a car you never it's um it's your it's your it's your child in a way okay well it's time for your next piece of music which i see is gidon kremer what have you chosen i've chosen gidon kremer because i find him a complete inspiration and his recordings are inimitable and challenging and provocative and deeply felt and sincere. I think he's a, a, a musician with a very deep conscience and I had to include a recording of his. And this is a very unusual recording with, with Leonard Bernstein and the Vienna Philharmonic and it's the last movement of Brahms's violin concerto. <laughs>
I have to say, Anthony, sounds like quite a recording of the Brahms Violin Concerto at quite a lick. No one, no one plays it that fast. It's amazing, yeah. but you know, it's so often it's sort of heavy and mm. a bit. Uh, the 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 ex- exhilarating feeling of this recording, I find just and the soloist Guidon Kremer there. Mm. Interesting, because uh, I, I one of the questions I would have asked you is which violinists have really inspired you? Who do you? There's so many great violinists, aren't there? Of there many are. eras. Yes, indeed, and and I suppose my sources of inspiration are often further away from the violin or or, or even other instruments. I'm I'm often inspired by kind of unusual things like dancers and actors and sculptors and nature. But Kramer for me is just a huge a huge figure and he's sort of both the most astonishing violinist and he transcends playing the violin somehow. He just does kind of magical impossible things. We're, we're we're trying to sort of get out of that skin. We're trying not to be instrumentalists. We're trying to imply something beyond. I was intrigued to see that you have a good relationship with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Am I right in saying that Joshua Bell is in fact the music right? Yes, he is director there. Yes, he is, yes. and he does most of his conducting from the violin, doesn't he? Right, unlike Sir Neville. And so you're you clearly are involved as well. And you obviously know Joshua Bell, who's been here a couple of times as well. I don't know Josh well, but I've I've met him a few times, and we have a, a, a mutual friend in Stephen Islis, who, oh, okay. who I know very well. Yeah. Um, and they've been great friends for years. But yes, I I do a lot of playing without conductor i'm kind of i we call it directing or play direct or whatever so i'm i'm us, usually with orchestras then the the soloist and the conductor and some somehow the colleague as well and i do a lot of programs around the world where this is this format and we stand as well mm-hmm. so it's it's very exhilarating and, uh, and ambitious to do all of these things <laughs> together but it's i mean how exciting to be able to direct a beethoven symphony for example, as a as a, as have a violinist, have you done that? I have from yes. from the violin. From the violin, yes, it's completely thrilling. And then, um, why is there no Beethoven on your list? Just just I, it, your list. I'm paralysed. <laughs> I'm absolutely paralysed because it, there must be Beethoven on my list, and I can't believe that I haven't. And and beca- perhaps because the choice is so overwhelming, it means that I end up with nothing. Yes, and <laughs> I mean, and I mean I, what Beethoven do you choose of all the What Beethoven do you choose? Works. You know, one one is always asked the question, oh, well, you know, your favourite composer or whatever. Certainly, I could never do without Beethoven, mm-hmm. except on this programme. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I won't throw you out. <laughs> but um, conducting from the violin, I presume, could you do all nine? Surely not all nine. Surely That I mean, would be something. I mean, I, I've got up to number six, first of all, and I had... I had no, I haven't done the Eroica uh, okay. yet, but I've probably the most ambitious one so far is 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 the Pastoral Symphony, and mm-hmm. and that was I was very generously given a lot of rehearsal time, and it was 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 thrilling to be able to do that. So I mean, it it depends on the set. It doesn't work in every doesn't work in every eventuality, but but if, and you have to have plenty of rehearsal time, and you have to have a group of players who who are experts really in chamber music i would mm-hmm. say so that they understand that the violas are playing with the trombones and that they they are connecting in, yes. in very real ways and in the pastoral symphony if that works it works extremely oh, well because wonderful. it's almost like a f- large chamber work absolutely isn't it? with the absolutely. strings and woodwind yeah um i was wondering you you said that you are a champion of contemporary music and we've just sort of forgiven you for not choosing any beethoven the, the mainstream <laughs> so you. we had some brahms <laughs> and richard strauss but <laughs> what is it that tracks you to contemporary music that sticks out of your biog like that? Is it something special? I, I don't think of it as something special. I, I sort of feel that there's a total, if one is playing music, why would you or, or why would you not play something that's written today? I mean, because everything was today, obviously. Hmm. Everything was written by a living composer. And so today not to play something by a living composer seems rather artificial to me and of course you know the the experience of playing new music can be vastly different depending on who you're lucky to be working with and i've had some fantastic experiences of wonderful composers writing for me like um, for example thomas addis who wrote, wrote his sensational violin concerto which which i know is now a modern classic and and to, to have a, a a great work written by a by a living genius written for me is is beyond thrilling 
And was it difficult? I always think if someone writes a work for you and you can't play it, then what? There is just no choice. I mean, in in the case of Tom's concerto, I actually had only five weeks before the premiere to prepare it. And I rather wisely had cleared my diary of absolutely everything else. So unusually, I had one piece to, to, to focus on day and night literally during this time and there was no question of of uh, such and such a thing as unplayable while the technical demands of of that work are, are extravagant beyond, really? beyond i mean he kind of knows more about playing the violin than than, than a violinist uh, remarkable and so i wasn't going to be the idiot that said this isn't playable and and then find 40 years later that everybody is playing it in their auditions <laughs> oh dear. have you recorded it i have yes is it available commercially it is it's, we recorded it for emi live in london about some time ago actually about 10 years ago okay time i recorded it again i oh. <laughs> do you have any more recording plans at, that you can give away that we need to look out for at the moment from there is a recording i've made live in sydney with the sydney symphony of of a wonderful american composer who's become a good friend of mine called stephen mackey he wrote an amazing violin concerto called a beautiful passing it was actually about the death of his own mother and that's a very dangerous dangerous subject to, to write write about mm -hmm. somehow or other he has managed to be both engrossed in that um, life-changing experience and also as a composer have enough distance from it to create what i think is a masterpiece so that that i think is coming out um next okay it's a remarkable piece now we're going to have another piece of music. That's what we're going to do. And I see we're breaking away from classical. I mean, I know there's no space for Beethoven, but there is space <laughs> for Joni. I'm sending you up, Anthony. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Tell us about the piece you're going to play now. I adore Joni Mitchell as as an artist. Somehow she is what a combination of uh, you know singer, free spirit, lyricist, political commentator, just an incredible all round artist, and. The world is a strange place right now. Perhaps it's always a strange place. And this song was written, I think, in the mid-90s. It's from her album Turbulent Indigo, and the song is The Sire of Sorrow. And it is a profound, a angry railing at the world and the failure of political leadership. And very sadly, I, I can identify with the sentiments in this song. It's as fresh now as, as it was when it was written but I, what, what music and what diction and what artistry Let me speak Let me spit out my bitterness Born of grief and nights without sleep and festering flesh Eyes. Can you see like mankind sees? Why have you soured and curdled me? Oh, you tireless watcher. What have I done to you That you make everything I dread And everything I fear Come true Once I was blessed I was awaited like the rain eyes for the blind, like feet for the lame. Kings heard my words, and they sought out my company. But now, the janitors of Shadowland their brooms at me Oh, you tireless watcher 
what have I done to you That you make everything I dread And everything I fear Come true Well, that's the voice of Joni Mitchell here on Fine Music Radio, another choice of my guest, the British violinist Anthony Marwood, breaking away from the classical mold there. Anthony, do you spend a lot of time listening to music? And if so, do you manage to listen to some lighter music as well? Or what do you do listening-wise in your leisure music-wise? I must say I'm, uh, I'm a bit selective about... I have, you know, sound and going into my ear and my brain all the time and I really am a great fan of silence <laughs> I must yeah, say yeah. I mean okay, of course I listen to all kinds of music as well but I really do have a thing about uh, about needing to have quiet I find it rather difficult that music is always there you go into a restaurant music is always playing you go into a hotel it's playing it's playing, it's, playing, it's, playing. it's always too loud it's, it's too loud it's a, and somehow this this being afraid of being afraid of silence I don't know I, I think we're losing something if we're not comfortable with that uh, just rebooting somehow. I, I don't know if you would do this, but I very seldom, even though I work in radio, don't have my radio on in my car mm. because there's that little capsule, isn't it, of silence from the traffic and the noise. Right. Absolute silence where you can ponder life-rich tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do relate to that, yes. <laughs> Actually, you mentioned just now, or actually, I mentioned just now about what well, you mentioned just now about being an actor. Are you, mm. uh, are you, that was a possible career. Yeah. And I read somewhere, and I wondered if this is true. Well, it must be true. St. The Academy of St. Martin in the Fields had a fully staged production of Stravinsky's A Soldier Tale, in which you acted the role of the soldier and played the violin part. And apparently, there was a bit without your clothes on. So you have to reveal all, I mean, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain that. Um, yes, I, I, uh, I mean, Stravinsky's, Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale is such an iconic piece of music theatre and it is about a soldier violinist and traditionally the violinist role and the, the role of the soldier are separated and it can be done various ways, but usually there is an actor who says the lines or acts the part of the soldier and the violinist and the music is separate. And I kind of wanted to do both together and, and to have a, a production that brought the theatre and the music closer together in a way that I think Stravinsky would have liked, actually, but was too practical a musician to insist upon. And the Academy of St. Martin Fields, I was playing quite a bit with them, directing programmes, and they very were very intrepid and said, let's do this. Let's raise the funds and put on a fully staged production. And in the production was a sequence that was filmed on video that was projected on the wall behind. And it was basically when the soldier loses loses everything. And I was filmed very discreetly oh, it, in the woods, kind of the worst for wear. And it was, and I did have to go to a London park at four in the morning in summer and take my clothes off and and surprise the, <laughs> the, the early morning dog walkers. <laughs> but it's not true to say that I was live on stage with with my with my clothes off. That that you know you know what the press are like. I they know, pick up I on know. a story like that. They call so. it spin. I think. Or there you go. Like you see, yes. But it was one of the most exciting productions I've I've been involved with. It was it was thrilling to do. One of the things that strikes me is that you've had wonderful opportunities and you've worked with lovely people. We, I mentioned a list of conductors at the beginning and you also mentioned how wonderful it was to work with Bernstein and Abado and these are two great men aren't they and even though Bernstein you say was very old at that stage you imply that you learn so much from these people yes I mean I, you learn so much from situations even when they're not going according to plan in a way and and unfortunately when when we worked with Bernstein it was at the end of his career and he was rough around the edges and very nervous really very um it was it was it was difficult i think he was at that point he was almost thinking so much about himself in 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 the music making and the expectations on himself that that it was having a a bad effect mm. even though he was unden undeniably a great man a great musician this was for the very very end i mean for the rest of his career he was a, a giant but abado at th the same time was was sort of the opposite he, he was he was all about the sort of selfless music making and he wasn't nervous at all mm. and i think as very young players i mean we were like 18 it was an inspiration to see someone who was so immersed in 
what he was doing and the and the freedom and the possibilities that just opened up from being in the right place as an artist was was very very thrilling and it was a great great lesson for a young musician to see that six feet away from me yes and what a what a career he had tragic end as well with that horrible stomach cancer and you see those videos him with the berlin philharmonic looking really very ill i know anyway i think we can fit in another couple of pieces what is your penultimate piece well this is a work that i used to listen to obsessively when i was a was when i was a teenager when i was supposed to be sleeping i had a little portable radio next to my bed and i fell in love with bartok's music for strings percussion and celeste i think there was something of course it was used for film but there was something about the the atmosphere and the the language that it conjured up in the imagination for me as a as a very young person i was completely transported and it was actually a recording, a live recording that I would listen to of the National Youth Orchestra and my brother and sister were playing in that concert and we had it on a little tape. I used to listen to it over and over and over again. But this is, this is for me, um, very poignant and very magic music. We don't have that tape, but we do have Sir George Schulte. How about that? That'll be fine. Music by Bartok there. That's the piece called Music for Strings, Percussion and Celeste with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. They're members thereof, conducted by Sir George Schulte. And another choice of my guest, Anthony Marwood, the British violinist who's holidaying here in Cape Town. And I rather rudely took you out of the sunshine and the wine routes. And apparently you have a favorite coffee shop in town. Are you a coffee addict? I am definitely a coffee addict. And I'm a great fan of Origin on Hudson Street and like to... If I'm in the neighbourhood, I, I will go there even every day, sometimes twice a day. <laughs> so they've got so to I'm really part of the furniture there, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what else do you do at home to relax? I always like asking my guests when you're away from all of this. You mentioned silence just now. Is that what it is all about, really? Silence, nature. My home home is in, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the countryside in Sussex in England. I'm definitely drawn to sort of nature and walking and recently running, actually. I've taken up 
running and I find that very oh, really? meditative and, and good for the health. And Are I, you running I never, here in Cape Town? I am running here. I'm running along the promenade. like, like I ran underneath Table Mountain the other day one morning, which was just utter magic, the, the spring sounds of you really are going to go back all equipped and excited aren't yes. you and where next i'm off to australia shortly where i'm playing with the sydney symphony and at a remarkable organization in melbourne the australian national academy of music who allow me to do quite outrageous experimental programs and see what can be done they're fantastic so i love i love going to australia and playing there and so it sounds that like you're busy as well and so you're Very busy, really on yes. the circuit aren't you and yes. busy and so you need this sort of contemplation moment. I feel I do, (laughs) yes. Well, thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much for your time on your holiday to be all sort of talkative and intelligent and entertaining when you should be outside relaxing. (laughs) But enjoy the rest of your stay here. And as we said much earlier, let's see if we can wangle something with our orchestra or local chamber music so we can get to hear you play. I would love that, yes. Anthony Marwood, thank you very much. And as I say, come and see us again. Thank you. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Forever Plaid, the heavenly 1950s musical comedy is now on stage. Come experience the best music of the 1950s, including Catch a Falling Star, Three Coins in the Fountain, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, and many more. Crooned beautifully by a quartet of handsome lads. Don't miss Forever Plaid at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay from the 6th to the 23rd November. Book now through CompuTicket. That was a repeat of a program recorded a year or so ago. And the good news is that Anthony Marwood is now back in Cape Town for his recital at the Baxter Concert Hall, and that is on Saturday, the 16th of November, for the Cape Town Concert Series. FMR 101.3 